crap. That's the young people saying. <laughs> I don't know, you, you deal with them. I, no, they don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey folks, welcome. Come and have a wee seat next to us. This is the Unsung Podcast. I am Mark Fraser. That person is... Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> and you are... Radio silence. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. How are you guys doing? I had COVID last week. I feel like I should get that in there. It's like the most interesting thing that's happened to me recently. You, anyway. want, the pit, you want the pity vote? I want the pity vote, I've yeah. got cold, but it's not... COVID. Yeah. <laughs> you, got a, you got a song for that, Vicky? I got cold, but it's COVID. Don't make me laugh. I need to get sentences out without laughing in them. Every time I listen back to like episodes, I ruin half of my points by bursting into laughter half the way through it. <laughs> well, we need something jovial on this podcast. So, yeah, you know. I know, Chris, a miserable bastard. I, I was just about to say we're doing something a bit different this week. Vicky's recording into the correct side of her microphone. <laughs> Mark's smiling, but uh, if you think because I'm sitting right in the sun, if you think it's me that's the downer on this show, then okay, uh, yeah. So probably like address the elephant in the room like immediately. It's like this is not Lil Kim. <laughs> I'm yeah. definitely not Lil Kim. No, I'm not um, either. We're not doing hardcore um, because. Everyone pussied out, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Pussied out? Yes, you think that's appropriate? So, what is inappropriate is for a couple of douchebag white guys to sit and talk about Lil Kim and sex yeah. positivity and, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mm. want to. So, we're going to strive to get a slightly more qualified panel. Yes. Um, get instead, some clams in. <laughs> get some clams involved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Instead, we're going to roll out something that came to Mark in a dream, a little bit of inspiration. Actually, I was actually lying in bed. It caught me when I was lying in bed, falling asleep, funnily enough. But yeah, tell us about my idea, Chris. <laughs> I'll introduce Mark's thinking. So I think we're going to call this Unsung Intros. And the concept of this show, which will pop up now and again with different guests, is that we're going to dig back into our own personal pasts to look at the records that first really grabbed us or that we really grabbed uh, in, in the sense that this week we're, we're going to take three albums each one of them is going to be an album that we got from a member of our family or immediate circle mm-hmm. uh, another one is going to we're going to try and think back to round about the first record we personally bought and then the third one is a bit more flexible any other record from way back in the mists of time that has played a, a key role in your musical development yeah, is, is, is that doing your idea justice? Yeah, yeah, it's all about the formative influences in our musical lives, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think given the kind of the, the, the podcast that we do, there's going to be some records on here which are definitely not unsung. That goes without saying, right? Spoiler alert. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but because like you don't tend to like unsung things when you're like six and seven. Yeah. <laughs> you're not like mining the vaults for, I don't know. That early scratch acid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just letting you loose Throbbing in a fucking record store. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Yeah. Let's talk about how we I also, got here. I also think this will be good uh, for you, the listener, hopefully to get you thinking back. Because what I realised, when Mark said this, there was a few records that came to my mind. And then I actually realised that, oh no shit, they were actually a good few years after I became a sort of music fan. Mm-hmm. And I had to dig back further and further and further. And I, it, it, it was strange because things started to come back to me. I was like, shit, I forgot about that. And then it actually... Mm-hmm. I mean, hence the point of the show, got me thinking like, oh wow, yeah, that really did kind of switch me on to a certain kind of thing. And also in some cases I noticed that I was like, oh, I used to I fucking love the fun loving criminals for fuck's sake. <laughs> so did I, man. I went to see <laughs> them a couple of times. <laughs> but it definitely wasn't a, an avenue that I continued to travel down. No. Because I mean, where did, I mean, yeah. I remember when I was listening to fun loving criminals, I kind of fucked about with Cypress Hill, and then I fucked about with the Fugees, mm-hmm. and I was like, maybe this is, maybe this is what I meant yeah, and there was a wee bit of red hot chili peppers and it was kind of like funk and sort of white boy rap and mm-hmm. and then it just at 311 remember that band Like mm-hmm. three eleven, yeah, whatever they're called. Right, I mean, there was dabbling with that. I'm, I'm, I'm anti sublime. No, I'm not anti sublime. <laughs> no, and nobody is. You know, nobody is. It, it is interesting how there are certain avenues that we almost go down and then we sort of pull back from. We're like, that's not for me. You know, mm-hmm. or you could be weaver and you could just keep going down them for the rest of your <laughs> <Yeah>. life. <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, 
yeah, it, it was really interesting being forced to explore that. So hopefully mm-hmm. through the shit that we talk about and the shit that some of our future guests talk about in these shows, uh, it'll maybe get your, your own juices flowing in terms of like examining where your own tastes sort of uh, evolved from mm-hmm. and you know podcasts are forever appealing for fan involvement but we would love to hear that genuinely it'd mm-hmm. be really interesting to get some mm-hmm. of the feedback especially from some of the regular contributors uh, to the show mm-hmm. yeah so we'll be asking for more if you input in the future we're going to find a way that you can actually send us your voice have you ever heard of that before what's that called a voice note yeah like something like that but you know a lot less cumbersome than just like trying to get some these fucking phone number and send my WhatsApp message. Yeah, you're yeah. not getting my phone number, folks. Sorry, I'm not getting yet. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. Yeah, that's that's only for myself, Vicky, and every toilet wall in Glasgow. <laughs> well, you know, I'm popular guy. Um, yeah, so we're going to start off with the records that we, you know, there's always records that you kind of pilfer off your family. Like mm. maybe it's your mum yeah. or dad's record, and you end up sort of appropriating it and listening to it more. Or mm-hmm. you know, Vicky, I know you've you've got siblings, so yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it's a record that one of your siblings gets you into or maybe it's a cousin or a friend or just whatever a record that you effectively ended up nabbing from someone around you Mm -hmm. Uh, my nomination for this Mm -hmm. is going to be She's So Unusual by Cindy Lauper Yours? Mine's is going to be The Immaculate Collection by Madonna. Nice. Uh, mine's is Buy Out of Hell by Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Nice. See that's convenient for me because Bat Out of Hell would, would you yeah, yeah that, that would probably be close a total candidate yeah. for me as well yeah uh-huh. um, all right well who's going to kick it off right so like you were saying there's actually quite a few things that I probably like list borrowed off a of family members before that but I didn't want to get into that because it was the Beach Boys already <laughs> 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 spent like three hours talking about that yeah like, I remember standing at like a record player and playing Beach Boys records when I was really young. Um, but I've picked the Immaculate Collection. Can, can I just interject? Only today did I realise that that was a play on the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's how really? that's how slow I am. <laughs> well, I mean, the, it's interesting because the whole Catholic theme is probably relevant to why Madonna was so overplayed in my house, which was filled with three young female Catholic girls. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I think that was part of the fascination, to be honest. Um, you, Madonna was played to death in my house. Um, my sister had the video of the Immaculate Collection as well. Remember you used to get a video with the, oh, yeah, the, the, yeah. the music mm. videos? It was, a, it was a compilation of Madonna's greatest hits from 1983 to 1990, and I think it had a couple of new singles on it. So the thing about compilations as well which I find quite interesting when I was younger it's a lot of compilations are around and I think it's just because they're good value for money and you know I lived in a house where we didn't really have a lot of money to be buying albums all the time mm-hmm. a lot of records that we had finals and stuff like that was maybe stuff that my mum and dad had for the 70s but through the 80s 90s we tended to have a lot of compilations around just economically it, it made sense so Madonna, yeah, I mean, I haven't continued a love affair with Madonna as an adult, you know, I probably lost interest somewhere around about Ray of Light, maybe just after that. I think Ray of Light's a great album, but definitely as 
a youngster in the 80s Madonna was really quite a big deal Does that mean you weren't one of the folk that ran out and bought Bitch and Madonna in 2015? <laughs> <laughs> no I didn't, no to say, I was, I was saying to Mark earlier on, by the way, bitch and Madonna, I mean, what the absolute fuck? She the only went way that, right off the rails, yeah, man. The only way that's acceptable is if, in fact, you're not Madonna, you're someone else, and you call your single bitch and Madonna. That's actually Aye, pretty good. That's quite I, funny. I like that, but yeah. to actually be Madonna, I mean, it's fucking horrendous. It's the most Madonna thing. <laughs> see, in the 80s, I feel like Madonna was quite innovative, actually, and um, her music, I mean, she was seriously up there with the likes of Michael Jackson in mm. terms of her importance and popularity and this success. Was, this was the single biggest selling solo artists compilation of all time, like 30 million copies. Mm -hmm. Although I noticed that it actually only got to number two in the US billboard charts. It got to number one in the UK, but number two in the US. It's unthinkable to me that one, like that such an iconic artist with such an mm -hmm. iconic compilation collection, you know, didn't smash number one for weeks and weeks and weeks. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Although it clearly was a, mm -hmm. a, it was in the charts for a long fucking mm -hmm. time and sold for a long time. But yeah, it's kind of mad. She's just so captivating. So I'm six when this uh, this compilation comes out. But my old, my next oldest sister, who was the, really the big Madonna fan, was like ten. And then my next sister up was 15. And we were just obsessed with... It was the whole package, wasn't it? Because she was an amazing dancer. The themes she was singing about, like I mentioned the Catholic thing, but that really is... There's loads of Catholic imagery in Madonna's music and loads of, obviously, the sexual liberation element was a big deal as well. And she was a huge advocate for gay rights. Um, she did a lot educating people about AIDS so in mm. the Like a Prayer album when it was released it had an insert in it called Facts About AIDS so she did a lot, she was friends with like high profile people that died of AIDS so she was really a captivating person um, and very artistic, she had loads of controversy around about her It's an amazingly activist thing to put something like that mm -hmm. in a pop album I mean can you can you imagine like Megan Thee Stallion having like a, a fact sheet about an illness or some kind of like political social issue mm -hmm. uh, demarcates a difference in the eras of music I guess mm -hmm. I watched it as a child in bed with Madonna I didn't get a lot of it then really but it was on BBC recently and I watched it again and she was for a young person, I mean she's 30 in 1990, 30-ish, 32 maybe um, she is like a shit hot manager in control of her artistic output in, in terms of her live shows, her choreography the people she's got round about, about her, what she wants to say she's the one that's managing that you know she's mm -hmm. really um, she's not some wee record label puppet mm -hmm. uh -huh. which let's be honest the vast majority of modern pop stars are and on this collection like most of the songs she's written are co-written as well yeah, again, I, I want to touch on that in a moment. I mean, one thing about this, right, so this is her first compilation collection. She's got multiple mm -hmm. compilation collections, right, but there's a lot of tracks missing from this, so it misses oh. her first two singles. It's, it's chronological but jumps past certain tunes so mm -hmm. I noticed that Who's That Girl's not on it mm -hmm. True Blue's not on it Blue uh, is a big omission yeah, in my opinion and Look of Love you, you can see there's playlists where people have added True Blue into it uh -huh. I noticed that it's got Borderline on it which I could really do without as well <laughs> you know that that's another thing as well I had never fully appreciated how unbelievably twee Madonna's early music was yeah. I, 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 I mean it's it's catchy and it's fun but Borderline in particular almost sounds like elevator music till the vocal comes in mm -hmm. like it's really really twee mm -hmm.
really kind of cheaply cornly produced there's a big shift between Madonna's early stuff which is more dancey aimed towards teenagers and young adults then going through the time you're getting to stuff like Express Yourself Mm -hmm. it's a much more mature audience that she's going after it's much more grown up the brand changes doesn't Mm, it 100% Um, it's probably like her her fans grew grew up with her I think she became a more she developed lyricist as well you know the things that she was singing about were just that little bit more um, profound <laughs> I don't, I don't sophisticated know maybe? sophisticated um, thank you yeah. the things she was singing about just became a, a bit more sophisticated she became a bit more into singing ballads her ballads are amazing like Live to Tell uh, Crazy for You father they're just really emotive pieces of work i mean i'd i'd actually don't like her ballads no it's not that it's i'd, I'd madonna doesn't really push my buttons in the way mm-hmm. that some acts of that era do yeah uh, most of the time i think material girl especially the chorus of that is probably her first really great moment I think that even as somebody that wasn't particularly invested in her as an artist, I'm like, man, that's a great bit of writing. Um, I think Into the Groove is a huge, like, pop banger. Dance. Albeit that a lot of the vocals on Into the Groove are really poor. You know, I mean, the actual hooks that we all identify are decent, but see when you listen through the rest of the song, there's a lot of parts mm-hmm. of the verses where it's really shakily performed. What I mean is, maybe it's a nice thing that it's very imperfect, but it's a, it's something you would never get away with now. There'd be too many people slamming autotune or getting guest vocalists in mm-hmm. to cover up for it, you know, kind of Katy Perry style. Um, I will say, I think the, the song that for me really absolutely makes Madonna stick on fucking legend is Like a Prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's easily one of the best songs. Mm-hmm. It's easily one of the best pop songs I've ever written, I think, mm-hmm. uh, it, let alone one of the best songs of the 80s. And see the amount of controversy that got as well. Like, mm-hmm. the Pope came out and... Uh, Black Jesus, uh, kind of had Black Jesus. Uh, I know, it was, ba- it was <laughs> banned in Italy and all of this kind of, like, nonsense, right? But the controversial aspect of Madonna is also what was ultimately really, really attractive about her to audiences, you know, and whether she was pissing off Catholic Church or just family religious groups, she got a lot of stick for for, the, for her artistic output mm-hmm. and that's it's really tedious to read about that now when, you know, the, the things that people object to, but as a child that's or as a young person, that's part of the thrill of enjoying, that's what you... That's that's what makes these artists important to you. Mm. What, do you uh, what do you think of our kind of full Millie Jackson intro to express yourself? Express Yourself was actually written as a, I don't know why, well I do, as a tribute to Sly and the Family Stone. Right, Mm. Right, I can see the look in your faces here. Madonna's influences are really interesting to me. So Sly and the Family Stone was obviously an influence on her because she did Family Affair live when she was touring at that time. You see a simple fly Blood's than the mud. Here's a family affair. She 
dedicated one of her songs to Sly and the Family Stone and this song was meant to be like a musical tribute like in the vein of Sly and the Family Stone so I haven't been able to get to the nitty gritty about what her opinions are on that but she cites Sly and the Family Stone as an influence and on that song Express Yourself as well so it's interesting you're saying Millie Jackson I mean Sly and the Family Stone are a huge pop soul band you know so I can... There are some soul elements in our, in our music, so it does kind of make sense. And, and I know, obviously, Neil Rogers is in Chic, but he produced quite a lot I of, like, uh, like, a virgin as well, the album. Um, like, I think a lot of this is pretty... Is, it falls on the good side of, like, aged... Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of it does. Um, I agree with, like, a like a prayer. It's fucking, like, just an insane song. Mm-hmm. It's not an amazing bit of rain that's, that is pretty untouchable. Um I hadn't really spent much time with Madonna. My mum was never a Madonna fan. She was the album I almost picked her about out of hell was actually going to be Abba Gold, but we did all the Abba. So yeah, like not going to fucking touch that. I'd, I'd have picked Super Trooper. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I can see like how in the era of the eighties, um, this shit would be like catnip to to young women. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, can I? Can I, can I throw a slightly sort of a negative uh, observation into the mix here, right? Because I am brought... There's plenty to make about yeah, Madonna, yeah. to be honest. Uh, the track uh, from this that we mentioned, Justify My Love, that became the single... I think like foreshadows an interesting phenomenon, right? Because when you look into like the the the, uh, the lore around that song, so written by Lenny Kravitz, mm-hmm. right, and credited to Lenny Kravitz and Ingrid Chavez, Chavez, mm-hmm. right, who I believe is Prince's protege, is that right? She One played them, yeah. his love interest, I think, in Graffiti Bridge. Prince Alarm, first time yeah, in a while. She's in, she's in the Love Sexy album as well. Mm-hmm. Prince was also quite a big sign, the Family Stone fan, I think. Huge, well, yeah. So I, I think this, is, this tune, in, in its own way, is a great example of the absurdity of pop, right? Uh, and and, mm-hmm. and reputations and prestige. And it, as I say, it foreshadows some of the Beyonce, Taylor Swift criticism I've, I've mentioned in the past, right? Because it was written musically by Lenny Kravitz uh, in conjunction with the producer right? Andre Betts I think the guy's name and was and Madonna I think has got a writing but here's the thing right Chavez took Lenny Kravitz to court mm-hmm. for not giving her a full songwriting credit yeah. when he used her lyrics it was adapted from I think a poem that she'd written mm-hmm. um, so first and foremost okay fair enough lyrics writing lyrics or having adapted lyrics isn't the same as writing a full fucking song mm-hmm. right but it's certainly uh, it's a substantial contribution, albeit a pushback on the notion that it's anywhere like as important to the success as the music itself. Mm-hmm. However, Madonna is on here with a shared writing credit for, and I quote, altering one line. Madonna altered one line in this song, and you're right, she's an astute businesswoman and an astute manager, and she insisted, I altered a line in that song, I'm getting a writing credit mm-hmm. on that. That is the epitome of that write a word, get a third thing mm-hmm. that we've spoken about yeah. with people like Beyonce and Taylor Swift, sure. where it's part of their brand, it's, it mm-hmm. c- contributes to the, the, the mythos around them that they are strong multi-faceted multi-talented musical units and Madonna was but in this scenario she is getting an equal writing credit with the guy that wrote the tune for having altered one line and that is pretty weak right but I don't I don't really see it as necessarily a huge indictment of her she wrote a lot of her other songs she did and was like the sole writer of some of a lot of her songs as well what, so. what I'm saying though is it, first of all it casts unnecessary speculation on other bits of music right yes. and it just sets the scene for this pattern of people mm-hmm. having f- sort of fraudulent mm-hmm. identities as mm-hmm. musicians and trying to convince like you know if you're an aspiring young person you're like oh my god she looks perfect she's a great dancer and she writes these incredible songs it's like no she doesn't and I don't mean Madonna in this case but I mean so many of these contemporary artists 
it's not a reality that you're seeing they don't write these songs this this write a word get a third it's like there are a lot of other things but they don't write these songs and it's this is mm -hmm. the dawn of that era because they're underpinning a lot of their artifice with the real credibility bit which is but I write my own songs they want everything that's it so Uh if you go back to you know there was always like Tim Pan Alley there were always people writing for artists okay but this notion that they had to pretend that they'd also written it hit factories hit factories yeah Mm -hmm. that's a much more modern thing so that kind of puts me off a wee bit and it's it's just a pity that that started here Mm because there's so many other things about Madonna I I, I honestly don't care about that Mm To be brutally honest, we were posting this from the the perspective of a songwriter, but most people who are the huge fans of these pop artists really don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Even people that aspire to be them don't give a shit. I, they, I just, they just want they just want to be up there. They just want to be doing that, and I think that's fine. Yeah, but it's a deification thing, man. It's like, it's like it know, is. It's a charismatic all, leader. All that, all that has been it's, about it's deification. A, it's of a cultish sort of people. mentality. It's always happened with all that. No, but listen, look, man, you're looking at people whose bodies are not the result of natural genetics or the result of dietitians and I don't want to bang on, but yeah. they are not realistic bodies. They are not realistic careers. Their videos and their photo shoots are photoshopped. And you're thinking, oh, they're also amazing songwriters. And it turns out, in most cases, they're fucking not. It's it's the fact that you are demi- you are diminishing people's self esteem because they fall so far short of their idols. When in fact, they probably don't fa- fall anywhere near as far short of their idols as they think they do. It's just that idols benefit from being part of a machine that makes them seem like gods, and they're fucking not and I hate that because it's not just dishonest it's damaging for the esteem and the mental well-being of people that want to be like them and actually ultimately it's more about luck than it is about talent Mm -hmm. I don't know how much that applies to Madonna and people that are cut from the same cloth as her for example like somebody like Lady Gaga or something like that Mm -hmm. they're the, I feel like their power and influence is actually used and certainly Madonna in the 80s anyway was to support a lot of subcultures and vulner- vulnerable people you know like the cult of Lady Gaga as well that's got a lot to do with LGBTQ plus rights as well um, and, and Madonna was quite similar as well as we've said about AIDS and stuff like that I think that they were doing I think they were a wee bit more than than the, what you're talking about they are uh, it's, it's a nuanced thing and it's a spectrum as well mm-hmm. there are some people that are absolutely fucking fraudulent mm-hmm. and there are some people that are much you know more in the middle and probably fluctuate quite a bit anyway and Madonna didn't sustain it, it like you know it, she wasn't interesting for, for throughout her whole career you know I'm, I'm, I'm speaking yeah. specifically about that period of Madonna I think ultimately it also boils down to the fact that you know as good as she was she wasn't as good as Cindy Loper and that's kind of relevant to what I'm about to talk about <laughs> so you don't have to put all women on a sliding scale of bad to best <laughs> I, I, I thought he's liked being judged by men I thought that's what it was all about uh, so Aye, there were a few candidates for my choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went for She's So Unusual by Cindy Loper. Uh, I could have gone for Roxette. We've done a big country episode. Mm-hmm. They were a real candidate. Uh, bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. I had a wee... F- I fucked with that for a year or so. Shut the- Mm-hmm. Even Runrig. Man, mm-hmm. I remember taking some Runrig tapes into my room, you know. Oh, Johnny, you're home, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> 1983 album by Cindy Loper. Pure iconic. I always remember, I, I literally, I mean, this came out when I was two years old and I always remember it lying about in my house it just it was one of my dad's favourite records even before my dad could drive because he couldn't drive till I was much older mm. at which point it made its way into the car but this was just it, it seems like there was a hundred copies in my house <laughs> an early fishnet tights fingerless gloves uh, colourful hair Madonna and Cindy Lauper had quite a similar aesthetic I suppose so aye, mm-hmm. aye. Uh, Cindy Lauper has less overt sexuality yes. and much more bubblegum pop appeal Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know really she went in a different direction with that Mm -hmm. Um, this album only got to number four in in the charts which I think is crazy but it Mm -hmm. did go on to sell 16 million copies worldwide Mm -hmm. The, the first side of this record is absolutely fucking bulletproof it's it's just wall to wall it's got for me the best Prince cover including Sinead O'Connor it's got the best Prince cover anywhere
I love that song. And it's got a fucking song about a girl wanking, which again is really subversive. Is that Shebot? Yeah, it's all about masturbation and I get as you say caused a lot of controversy people are fucking indignant that this could happen you know and so that's, a, that's another parallel with Madonna I say the second side yeah. and it, even as much as I was <laughs> I was groomed on this by my parents but like mm-hmm. raised on this uh, the second side does let it down a bit although it has a song in it called All Through the Night But that that first side, I mean, money changes everything. The intro to that song. Big rung off guitar and then the riff that comes in. It's, it's one for me one of the most anthemic intros of a tune ever. Um, I love the really jaded, sort of cynical take in those lyrics as well. It's it's so it's not what you expect from a pop song. Mm-hmm. You know, someday being like, yeah, well, you know what, money money changes everything and it changes your attitudes and changes what I'll do and changes what I feel about you. It's it's a, it's a fucking beautiful song. Girls Just Wanna Have Fun is one of those songs, one of those songs that outgrew even itself. It became a song that was just so applicable to advertising that transcended that, like mm-hmm. films, you know, discos. It's like a, that song is like a cultural behemoth. I don't think it's as big a, a cultural behemoth as Time After Time, to be honest. Really? Mm. What, what time I? After Time is in every teenage prom scene at the end of the night slow dance right but 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 if you walk by you know Kelton Cocktails or Bar Buddha or any of the worst fucking bars in this city oh, right. I see girls just want to have fun is, right. is the tune it's the same as like man I feel like a woman <laughs> it, that's a really good yeah exactly that's a really Aye, good example so one that gets all the sengas up on the tables Aye, you know exactly. what I mean um, mm-hmm. uh, but when you were mine fucking hell I love that how man. good is that you it's know when so you were good. mine there's something about that it's it's beyond just pop music it's like electro pop there's something quite dream poppy and progressive about it It's not really very guitar-y. I mean, it does have a guitar in it, but it's more of a synthy song. The double track vocal. In. Her, the double track vocals. Her vocal, the bottom one, is really funny because it's almost like like that <laughs> kind. Of, she's got that kind of like almost froggy sound. Yeah, and she does this emotional crackle in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and, but the high one is really, really. She's got that real high pitch voice. I mean, you can hear that song in tiny little bits and stuff like Arcade Fire and then stuff like Beach House. The kind of dream pop, synthy driving dream pop stuff. It's it's, it's like such a rich bit of music. Um, it comes from the original as well. That, the whole synth-driven part of it. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah, even it, though the chord progression is actually really fucking cool. It's it's so much lusher and more you know in, enveloping in this. And I like. She, I don't even think she changes the pronouns, does she? Not that you have to or whatever, but it's interesting. She doesn't change the like sh- he she pronouns or. And that contributed to a lot of speculation over her sexuality oh, over the years it? as well. I, I, and princes as well, isn't that? Yeah. Um, Time after time, as you say, I mean, when Miles Davis is covering your track two years after it came out, you know you've 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 done something pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know it was actually the guy. Is it Rob Hyman? I think mm-hmm. the, was the other writer, the co-writer on this. He sings a male backing vocal in Time mm-hmm. After Time. That's cool. Uh, by the way, did you know, I didn't realise this, but time after time, in 1979, there's a Malcolm McDowell film, right, which I've since <laughs> gone and sought out, where he plays H.G. Wells pursuing Jack the Ripper in a time machine after Jack the Ripper steals his time machine and escapes into the future. <laughs> That's wild. Nice. Time after time, everybody. There you go. That's your Friday night sorted out. 
But I, I mean, just I absolutely fucking adore this album. I mean, Cindy Loper has a lot of great stuff. Her best of collection is really good because it brings in stuff like She Drove All Night and that uh, Goonies oh, song, that which good, is a fucking tremendous, good enough, good enough yeah. <laughs> This, this record I fucking adore it and it, just that hyper pop really bright coloured New York back alley cover everything about it the, the whole package around it I loved Cindy Loper I love the fact that she did fucking Wrestlemania it was something yeah. just say, dead I... fun and light hearted she didn't go for the sex book she went for just something that was all round I don't know I guess my, my parents weren't so uh, defensive about it she's quite an interesting person isn't she like a wee bit kitsch a wee bit kind of uh, cartoonish oh, I don't want to say cartoonish that sounds mean but making fun of herself and Aye. and so like you know self-deprecating but just she's funny and like on her our um our compilation album there's a strange mix of songs like she yeah. does she does a version of like this old new orleans song called aiko aiko it's just where does that fit in with like when you were mine and time after time and mm-hmm. it's wild. It's, it's a little bit gormless, like, Aye, gormless like, like, that's like, the word. Like her career was a little bit less guided than some of her peers. She was allowed to do more things that were maybe a slight less misfit. Refined, yeah, but, but kind of endearing. More therefore. sincere. Uh-huh, aye, aye, uh-huh. Aye. I think it's a cool record, man. Um, it's it is weird to me that like the three, the biggest three, the four biggest singles are covers on it. But I mean, she does them really well, so that kind of works. Um, money changed everything's way more guitar than I thought it was going to be. Um, I don't even, even know what to expect when I heard it. I was like, "That's actually fucking, that's actually a fucking cool song." Girls just want to have fun, untouchable. Mm-hmm. Just as obviously, when you're mine, I think it's a great song. Obviously, um, and I think it's the best. The best, I think it's the best Prince cover as well. I don't think there's any Prince cover that's better than this one. It's just it takes a song in a whole new direction and I mm. fucking love it as a result of that mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean the, the, the sitting side does let it down um, all through the night that, I mean that's also a cover it's got a reggae feel to it that maybe that's where it comes from I've not had the original so I have no idea some other vocal reminds me of Susie and the Banshees mm-hmm. some of the guitar parts in the, the record are a bit post-punky as well yeah the fingerless lace Clubs and all that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was really interesting. To, I've never really listened, like, given it any time to it. You know what I mean? So it was interesting to actually sit down and spend some time. Uh, I've got a lot of time for them. I mm-hmm. really like her. So talking about um, petite young women, Mark, what's, yeah. what's yours? Well, I almost went like I said, I almost, <laughs> I almost went with Abba. Do you know what I mean? I almost went, I almost went with Abba Gold because my mum had that record. All, like I think it was same as you. I think she must have like a million copies of the album. <laughs> it was like everywhere. Everywhere, now, yeah. Not everywhere everybody went, turned you open a drawer. What the like, fuck is this? Why is this here? <laughs> why is it in this fucking random place? Um, but I, I couldn't do it because we've done endless ABBA, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the songs we did in the episode are on that are on that record. So if you want to hear about how good ABBA Gold is, go back and listen to ABBA mm-hmm. Two Parter because they are fucking so incredible. You, basically, what you're saying is instead of doing mum rock, you went for the old dad, dad rock. rock. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so my, my memory. This is um, no, this, it's, this is Battle of Hell, the original yeah, Battle of yeah. Hell by Meat Love, yeah. the Meat, nineteen seventy-seven. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, my memory of this is my dad used to always have the CD in the car. I've got written here my first note car album yeah I totally <laughs> By the Hell is like the song yeah. is, is like ultimate driving song well motorbike yeah. album I suppose but yeah, um, ideally but it's for me it's the dad's car thing my dad's a huge meatloaf fan he saw him alive quite a lot um, quite famously in my family my dad can't hold a tune for shit he's a really bad he's not musically on the slightest and I actually get kicked off karaoke for trying to sing this <laughs> try to sing my, this. my <laughs> second note here is best karaoke album of all time yeah my dad just couldn't do it <laughs> <laughs> he was drunk and apparently he got pulled off stage. I wasn't there, but I, oh, I can I, totally... I will say, when I wrote that about the best karaoke album of all time, I wrote next to it, future mixtape, question mark. <laughs> I have to say, see if somebody gets up in karaoke and does a duet of Paradise by the Dashboard Light or something like that, you're like, ah, fuck right. What's it going to be? It's going to be yeah. here for like yes. the next 15 Four? minutes. Four? Yeah. <laughs> no? <laughs> by the way, this is, there's, there's knowledge in your brain. You're like, ah, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. I've got the lyrics for this entire album in my brain. Yeah, just tat just tattooed in front of my eyelids. <laughs> How the fuck did they get in there? But honestly, they are absolutely in there. Yeah, I mean, for me, that like this, this album has several hooks. It's got Meatloaf's heroic terror, 
which is just <laughs> untouchable. And he fucked his voice after this record on the tour because he was doing it all wrong. Yeah, the story of Meatloaf's voice is fascinating. Yeah, it you know, really like is. Jim writing that album for him and then he couldn't sing it, so Jim put it out himself. Yeah, it's, it's really, really um, fascinating. The motorcycle guitar solo and Bat Out of Hell, <laughs> it kind of blew my mind as a wee guy, so what the fuck is that? And it still it still does to this day. Um, but for me, this is something I only, only realised as I got older and I started to find out more about the record and about, you know, Jim Steinman. Like, he was completely aware of the ridiculousness of rock and roll and that was his whole thing. He tied Bat Out of Hell and the story of that to Peter Pan because he was like, to him it was boys who were trying to live forever. You know, and mm-hmm. he was obsessed with that idea for his entire career. So this is basically the Lost Boys then? Essentially, yeah. Uh-huh. They're like a leather jacket version of Peter Pan. Pretty right? much, right? And uh, I think a lot of people listen to this record and think it might come across as quite sincere because it's 70s and it feels a bit Bruce Springsteen-y. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just tumour and it's overblown. Yeah. It's theatrical. It's, 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 it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's mu- it's I, musical, more musical theatre than anything well, else, really. it's funny you should say that because I went to see the musical, I went to see the musical of it mm-hmm. and it really plays. Of course you did. It really plays <laughs> on the humour of it. Like, it's, it's laughing loud funny in loads of places Mm -hmm. and Paradise by the Dashboard Light is hilarious like actually hilarious it's got so many comedic moments it's like Grease show. Yeah, the, totally the whole is, song is like a uh, part of Grease they even, they even, they even, get, a, even get like a, a baseball commentator to come yeah, on yeah. on stage and whilst that actually was the guy like, on the record not actually a proper baseball yeah he was actually yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, um, you know this I think for a lot of people myself included uh, and you from the sounds of it as well Meatloaf is most people's introduction to the world of flamboyance absolutely and rock music you know and it's 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 antithetical to punk in a lot of ways totally. even, even uh-huh. though a lot of punks like it mm-hmm. because it was as you say humorous enough and light hearted enough that it didn't alienate you by its pomposity do you know what I mean mm-hmm. you know, by the way this is another crazy theory right but see given the, the kind of complex evolving nature of like meatloaf songs the fact that they're like six, seven, eight minutes long and they've mm-hmm. got all these segments and stuff Movements. like that mm-hmm. do you think meatloaf there's like a meatloaf to tool pipeline because I think there is <laughs> by the way. Is, so yeah. many people I know that grew up liking meatloaf got a little bit pole faced mm-hmm. you know once they they got into their early mm-hmm. 20s and ended up into tool that, that would mean that um if meat is Maynard then Cher is Henry Rollins perhaps <laughs> but uh, I, I think it, it captures the spirit of heavy metal without being very sort of like like I say po faced in metal mm-hmm. um, and it's a bit of a gateway drug to stuff like Iron Maiden especially given their sort of sense of humour that went along with the Eddie stuff they weren't doing the really sinister thing they were doing something that was quite campy you know playing with the notion well, of I'm darkness and, mm-hmm. yeah yeah also uh, this just really reminds me of things like Rocky Horror and Tim Curry absolutely you know, I think Meatloaf was, was in yeah the best Rocky vehicle for that Of course, yeah, and and I think there's also I'm talking about meatloaf detail, but there's there's a meatloaf to Prince pipeline certainly, like like Prince's flamboyance and Purple Rain and all these kind of things. There's mm-hmm. a real commonality mm-hmm. in the, the in the ambition and the theatricality mm-hmm. of, of those musicians and and their uh, compositions. You know, I, I think like as a young person you're trying to work out who you are musically I think Meatloaf was a good way to discern whether or not you were like I like Spice Girls or I like rock because they had a similar accessibility they had big bold brightly coloured melodies catchy hooks but they Meatloaf didn't have that sort of plasticky nasty sort of commercial thing going on like I mean and I don't mean in the 70s I mean as we were mm-hmm. young and we were picking up our parents records mm-hmm. I liked Meatloaf in the same way as I liked some shit that was in like Now 24. Yeah, it's a more power ballad It's the same mm. way that you'd like a total eclipse of the heart or something yeah, like yeah, that. But exactly, but it felt a little bit more real and a bit nutritious than, than some of its kind of Aye. pop music peers. And I think a lot of people mm. have held on to Meatloaf because it is a way to enjoy music without feeling like you're you know, putting your weight behind something that's ultimately a bit nefarious. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Todd Rundgren produced this, and that's wow. the, that's the nexus that connects the albums that we've all picked. 
because he was involved with Cindy Lauper quite heavily, Todd Rundgren, and he, he's got a song on that that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd Rundgren thought this was a joke. <laughs> he thought the whole thing was a joke and Jim Steinman apparently took, it, took the recording of it very seriously even though he didn't have a really good knowledge of how to write music theory but he, was, he had a really good knack for writing tunes what, what year um, was this 77, 77 did you say uh-huh. well, Todd Dungren had already been producing Sparks I yeah. think as well so mm-hmm. uh, that surprises me do you know what I mean because they're, they're didn't a bit, click aye yeah um, Steinman labelled Todd Rundgren the only genius I've ever worked with <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Todd Rundgren like he found Meatloaf very cocky and didn't, apparently didn't like him um, he, I, but can I just really? say uh, there's a lot of stuff about this in Meatloaf's biography I've read that it's, but I don't remember that I, I read it uh, when I was with you in uh, Leon mm-hmm. in Spain and it's one of the best biographies I've ever read mm-hmm. it's so fucking good mm-hmm. I think Meatloaf's 17 concussions Batshit crazy yeah. 17 concussions yeah. Yeah. And a Charlie Manson Like lift <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just It's fucking great um, I will say like People that like meatloaf Are better people On average <laughs> They're more op- They're more open minded They're more willing To overlook faults For strengths Because see with a meatloaf album You are kind of like hey, That's silly That's silly That's silly But you're willing to look past it For strengths It makes you better at that As a person right You're more willing to embrace People's eccentricities And self indulgence And still love them Despite or for it, for it. Uh, you're a bit more romantic but yet also fun because Meatloaf was really romantic but also clearly based on this album up for a bit of a laugh mm-hmm. and you're probably good at karaoke mm-hmm. either just Meatloaf Battle <laughs> Hell fans are just better people <laughs> um, you know the thing that always strikes, strikes me about this record is to see if you go on Spotify you'll notice that Paradise by Dashboard Light has doubled the amount of listens than Battle of Hell Really? The song, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a much longer, song? much longer song. Oh no, I can't even sit all the way through it. I, I like, don't get me wrong, I like me off, right? And mm. I, I did when I was a wee lassie or whatever, when when um, he brought out um, I Would Do Anything for Love and all that. Like, I actually mm. remember sitting writing the lyrics out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? You, like, you're pausing their tape and winding it. And yeah. I, I, I loved that. And I liked all that, the like total um, thea- theatricality of it and everything. But I get a wee bit, it gets a bit tiresome. Oh, man, I mean, it can for me, do at this, first. I have to say what I think about Meatloaf as well. It's something that I don't come across as I've got older. And I think that it's something that was really quite popular between among like working class people. Like yeah. working class people really, really like it. Mm. I, I don't like how I'm expressing that. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking about myself. Mm. I don't really well, know how, all, how all to say that. three years came from Scottish working class backgrounds and all three years came from households where this album <laughs> existed. You're coming across it in pubs that are doing karaoke, mm. parties, family parties and the minors and all, yeah. of, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. Weddings, you know, When I was at university, I wasn't hearing a lot of meatloaf. Do you know what I mean? Definitely not. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what what the relevance of that is, or if if you would agree with that. Well, it has it has a lot of Springsteen qualities to it. It has a lot of Queen qualities to it as well. I would say more Queen qualities. You know what I mean? I don't know. Something like All Revved Up, for example, is very Springsteen. It's got the saxophone. It's got the all that kind of thing. That's true. But the the the, the theatricality of it, especially with the slightly later Queen Mm -hmm. stuff, I think there's a there's a big through line there as well. Yeah. And Jim Simon loved that shit, so yeah. yeah. He originally really, really wrote it as as a play called Neverland. So. Jesus, well, we move on to the second batch. Yes, no. who's going first this time? Somebody else, you. me, right? Second batch. This is the album that you went out and bought. Um, so a, a lot of candidates here, and actually, I'd, I'd I sort of backed out a couple of choices here because I think there's a couple that I'd probably like to do proper episodes on. What I've gone for is one that we will certainly Sorry folks, never do a fucking episode In this band, mm-hmm. Oasis mm-hmm. Maybe I don't really want to know How you got in girls Cause I just want to fly Lately Did you ever feel the Definitely maybe <laughs> I mean, right. um, talking a working class fucking, I know Mark's actually rocking back and forth in his chair right now <laughs> can't believe this Jeez. is happening yeah. I was 13 years old when this came out and I remember specifically getting it on cassette it's, it's strange actually because a lot of the albums we've talked about today this Cindy Loper for me and the final one were mm-hmm. all albums that had 
only on cassette I never owned the CD of them mm-hmm. um, What year is this Chris then? 1994 1994 This came out so I was 13 And yeah I mean I had this tiny little Sony mono cassette player That got absolutely battered with these things And this was another one So my memories of this are either mm-hmm. Are you shitty Alba Walkman mm-hmm. That I took to high school Or uh, this wee daft cassette player That would sit on my floor um, everybody knows Live Forever and fucking I think most people probably know cigarettes and alcohol and Shaker Maker and stuff mm-hmm. like that and You know, it's, it's got some really, really big songs in it. I think one of the things about this album that I really appreciated that I didn't ever get with I got off the Oasis train pretty early. I mean, I think um, whatever the single was released as a standalone after this, which had some really good B sides on it. But then by the time they brought out uh, What's the Story, Morning mm-hmm. Glory, I didn't even buy that album. I was mm-hmm. like, actually, no, I'm totally over this band. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I was much more into stuff like Green Day mm-hmm. and Bush. Uh, so clearly, I'd uh, clearly I'd worked out music, mm-hmm. um, but. The point, the point is, this album, I actually got really into the album tracks in this album, um, and it was really? one of the reasons yeah. it had a lot of longevity for me, mm-hmm. because I think mm-hmm. it was easy to get fed up with the singles, a bit like Nirvana's Nevermind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, like, the fourth track in it, Up in the Sky, the fifth track, Columbia. That really psychedelic I love that Yeah, interesting rock song It doesn't the get The start of it, yeah, aye it, It's a way more interesting song Than people give it credit for It's not mm-hmm. just typical Britpop um, Tracks like number seven Bring it on down I think they were all Really rewarding listens mm. As album tracks Nine's track in this Dixie's Diner Right Dixie's Dinner Is it Dinner? Mm-hmm. Oh, do you know what? In my head it's always been Diner Right okay so Dixie's Dinner Oh yeah because he says uh, Invite you round for tea, tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah uh, But um The style of that song was not yet extremely irritating when it. I remember I got this when it came out, right? And I'd I'd heard um, "Live Forever," and that song was still acceptable. I do fully appreciate that now. If anybody fucking Jake Bug whoever brings out a tune that sounds like that, oh, it's Fratelli's I, fucking Fratelli's. It's not get it in the fucking <laughs> get it in the ocean. But back then, it was still a rare enough thing that I could still quite enjoy the novelty. And you were also young. And we I was young And nah. you know what It was a little palate cleanser Amongst this album Of like You know Big Brit rock and stuff And I actually thought It was quite a nicely Judged song And I remember giving that A lot of spins There's just something It's something that British bands Rock bands do As well Is have these like Little weird Fucking dalliances Into like some stupid Like blur Right all of the Beatles, albums. The Beatles, Super the Kinks. Gra- Supergrass did it quite all, a bit as well. Aren't? Always have these like daft wee kind of songs. Cream for Christ's sake. Yeah, it's just, it's all over the shop in British rock music. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, I actually, I mean, as much as Oasis are more than just a band, they're just this fucking monolith, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And. I, I, I can't bring myself to fucking hate them because I still mm-hmm. think they're a totally relevant thing and I know it's, it's, it's quite especially in kind of alternative alternative circles and stuff it's like oh fuck it Oasis what, do you think that bands like Oasis and Nirvana kind of I've heard people say rescued pop music from being completely shit basically in well, the 90s so and brought it back to like to allowing guitar bands to be popular again so this is the thing right so there's not a lot to actually be said about this album that hasn't been said far too many times before but in terms of the credibility factor right I think Oasis ended up falling on the wrong side of that because of their antics and because of their just ubiquity and Mm -hmm. they're just and also some of their shit later stodgy fucking music that that they went Mm -hmm. on to do whereas Nirvana maybe by virtue of dying young you know managed to remain credible and have remained cool but I don't think there's much between the influence both bands had on certainly 
young I would say working class I'm sorry I'm speaking for like uh, it's quite a narrow conversation to have but for me these bands were proof that you could still do something interesting uh, aspirational uh, you know mm-hmm. and I mean, Noel Gallagher's actually spoken really well about this and it wasn't long after Oasis that it started to come harder and harder until it was virtually impossible for working class bands to get through. Mm-hmm. We actually spoke about this a while back on, mm-hmm. on a special episode, but they always get my respect in that in that sense because there's a lot of people that were into Oasis that got into some far more interesting things. Don't get me wrong, there's an even larger amount of people that go into Oasis and never bothered their arse to listen to anything else but Oasis or mm-hmm. those kind of bands, but... Mm-hmm. There's certainly a lot of good bands that are about today because somebody got switched on by this record. And as much as you want to fucking roll your eyes at Oasis, like this is a really fucking great bit of work. Um, and it was a really, really crucial thing for revitalising an entire scene mm-hmm. and also revitalising the notion within people with sort of limited means that they could just still do something that they really wanted to mm. do that, that, that there was still a reward for being talented there was still a reward for being having a personality um so mm. I, I just I, I just i feel really fondly towards this i, mm. I don't i don't know when i last listened to it i still i i, I, I don't have any any beef with this album mm. at all i think when oasis first came to my attention they were just associated with everything that was laddish and loutish and, and then I could never really connect with them and I wish I'd been able to because the thing that shares in common we never mind is that it's an exhilarating record mm. it feels like something's about to happen you know and it has yeah. that energy and that spark to it um, and I wish I was there for the time at that time because hearing the first chords of Rock and Roll Star on the album must have been like getting fucking shot in the face yeah right that's just like fine whatever you think of the song right I, I'm, I can take or leave pretty much all of this band stuff but I can imagine if you're waiting, if you're if you're a wee person and you're just waiting for something to come along to fucking like knock out the shape pop, mm-hmm. this is the band that does yeah, that. Right? Shake the dust off, mm-hmm. aye, aye. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny as well because I, I get what you're saying. In the long run, they did become associated with a lot of bands, but when Oasis first came out, nah, the bands were like listening to fucking happy hardcore and fucking mm-hmm. throwing bottles at my head. Oasis <laughs> guys, Oasis <laughs> guys, weren't, I, half of them joined my band later on. But oh, um, no, I just mean, fact, listeners, honestly, Oasis were. Those those guys were abroad, like it was a broad church of people. I mean, oh, I knew, definitely, yeah. I knew oh, guys yeah. that were listening. Like the first guy I ever knew that listened to Corn also listened to Oasis. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it was mm-hmm. quite a quite an interesting rock band at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I do. I like Oasis. I mean, I think that when I grew up, I kind of liked them passively. They were just in the background. My sister played them a lot, and I was only like. 10, 11 when this stuff came out I was more attracted to Blur and their silliness I, I loved Blur um, got a wee bit involved in the whole Blur versus Oasis kind of <laughs> <laughs> shit you know I was team Blur but I actually always did like Oasis as well and there's just there is a poetry to some of their stuff as well that I really like stuff like Married with Children mm-hmm. You think that everything you've done's fantastic Music shine, it keeps me up all night, up all night. Well, we're going to talk about another band that does this, but they were there's some really well observed moments mm-hmm. in their music. You know, they captured a certain thing about working class life. I, 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 I really kind of emotive, actually, and for me later on, that, that this stuff did stay about forever like you know even now at weddings or parties and things like that there'll be a point where Oasis go on and everybody sings along yeah and it's you connect can connect over that and obviously I mean Liam Gallagher does my baps in and <laughs> so does Noel Gallagher and I think some of the do, most of the later stuff shite but do we, do we agree that in the long run Liam Gallagher surprisingly he's quite funny on turned out to be the, the, the better brother he's quite Weirdly, funny yeah. <laughs> who saw that coming I yeah. thought Noel was miles ahead and then fucking Liam like as soon as COVID-19 hit fucking Liam just fucking roared into the lead aye we use like <laughs> observations on Twitter are quite mm. funny but um, but aye you know it is what it is I don't I don't judge it you know mm. Do, will they ever reunite? I don't know. That's one of the things that I always think about because it could just be about the money, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. And actually, kind of, if it never happens, I'd actually like them more. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we'll put a cork in it there and join us next week as we continue to go into the formative albums that shaped our musical lives. And it's yeah. going to get exciting. Yeah, we'll touch on some more of the albums that we actually went out and bought ourselves with our, yeah. our first pocket money or allowance or a fiver that we stole off a pensioner. Mm-hmm. And No, in the 90s, your albums were like £15. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like reverse inflation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, as well as uh, three choices of records that just had a big impact on us from those really, really early formative years. Indeed. See you then. See you then. Adios. Adios.